0: Bring to you this morning. I want to say I'm so thankful that some of you guys had the opportunity to go to camp meeting. We just got back from an incredible camp meeting in Murfreesboro. Man, it was awesome. The Spirit of the Lord was with us in a mighty way. Some of you may have watched some of the services, but we had one of our young men, David Manus, David, Cindy's oldest son, received the Holy Ghost on Friday night at camp meeting. Thank God. It was awesome. I think on Friday night, there was, there was about 1,800 of us gathered in that room there in, in the Embassy Suite there in Murfreesboro. And it was, it's a busy week for some of us, but it was just absolutely incredible. I want you to join with that person beside you and let's pray right now that God would just help us to receive his word. Would you just join with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your Word today. And I pray today, God, that you would just give us an ear to hear what your Spirit would say to the church. I pray that you would help us to receive what you have. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our lives. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I want to read one passage of Scripture while you're standing, and I'm going to go back. And we're going to look at some verses connecting to this in the book of Exodus, chapter 25, verse 22. Exodus 25, 22. This is the word of God himself speaking to Moses there at Sinai. And God said, "In there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Look at these words, these phrases. And let's look at it one more time. God said, and there I will meet with thee. And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. I want to talk to you for a little while on the thought, the meeting place. The meeting place. God bless you as you're seated. I need to ask you a question because this is something that I'm sensing, I'm feeling, and I just kind of want to know how you guys are. But let me ask you this. Are you... Or have you, have you been sensing something moving you? Have you begun, or have you been feeling an inner restlessness? Have you felt a deeper yearning, a push or a tug? I want to tell you, there is this that's going on, and some of you may not have sensed that as of yet, but I've got a feeling that a lot of you have sensed something deep within the heart, deep within your innermost being. You've been sensing something. It's, you, you feel a little restless. You feel a yearning. You feel something that's moving you, something that's pushing or pulling, however you want to describe it. I really believe that what's going on is our shepherd is gathering his flock tighter together. I believe that our shepherd is gathering us together to him Closer to him, and in doing so, gathering us closer with each other. The shepherd. Last Sunday, you saw these beautiful children lined up here on the stage, and I had challenged them to memorize Psalm 23, the Shepherd psalm. And some of them stuck out. Some of them did it. Some of them uh, memorized the whole thing. They got awarded for doing so, Uh, Ethan and Nate. Uh, got the money for doing so. Some of, them, some of them attempted. Some of them made up their own stuff. You know, y'all were up here. Y'all saw that. But I really just kind of triggered something in me when, when little Cohen, the uh, Cohen, you know, Eddie and Kathy's little grandson, when he said, matter of factly, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't want. The psalmist made that clear to us. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the very presence of mine enemies. In the very presence of mine enemies, you prepare a table before me. In the very presence of mine enemies, you anoint my head with oil. In the very presence of mine enemies, my cup runs over. Just think about it for a little while when you think about the problems in your life and it feels like all hell is coming against you. Just remind yourself, I got a table that's spread before me by the hand of God himself. In the presence of mine enemies, thou anoint my head with all my cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But then Jesus makes it more personal because... The Lord came on the scene. David is speaking secondhand, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. But Jesus comes on, and he said, I want to tell you all who the shepherd is. And in John chapter 10 and verse 1, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. "'And to him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, "'and he calleth his own sheep by name, and he leadeth them out. "'And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, "'and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice.'" And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. And then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. There's three things that we find in Jesus or we have in Jesus. And I hope you all haven't decided to nod off for the first little while on this because I'm I'm building something. There's three things we have in Jesus from this passage. I'm going to read the rest of these verses in a moment. But we have the understanding that he is our shepherd he is our salvation, and he is our sustenance. He is a shepherd that leads us. He is the Savior that, that, that saves and protects us. We have, we have the sustenance, ongoing provision of our Lord and Savior. The person that we're following is Jesus, the shepherd, and the promise is that of protection. We have deliverance, we're saved from, we're protected from, and we have provision, we have pasture. The Bible said in John 10:8, as Jesus goes on, he said, All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said, I am the door. Or in other words, I am your access. And in and out just simply means access. Jesus is the door. He's the way in to everything we want in life. Are y'all with me right now? He is the door. He is the way to. He is the access of. But he's plain. He's emphatic when he tells us the only way is through the door. There's only one way. There's only one door. Jesus, 137 times in Scripture, he made the statement, I say unto you. This expresses complete authority. The ground rules are set and Jesus makes it clear. He said there's only one way in. And then he made it very clear when he said all the other ways are fraudulent. The only door is Jesus. Now I want to tell you something this morning. I'm beyond conservatism. I am of the way that says that there's only one and it's Jesus. There's only one way to be saved. There's not multiple ways into heaven. There's one door into heaven. There's not multiple ways to access God. There's only one way. Jesus Christ is the only way. The door is the access, the way in. Later on, there's another I am statement that Jesus makes in John 14 16 when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The way just simply means the route, the path, the road. Truth. When he said, I am the way, the truth, Truth is something that is not concealed, it's revealed. And the word of God brings us truth. It brings us revelation of truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Life is a source, the source of life, both for now and the hope for life for eternity. Jesus Christ is that. Jesus Christ said, I'm the door, or I'm the access. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, Paul wrote and said, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 and says for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the father. In Ephesians 3:11 and 12 Paul said according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. There's a clear distinction between Jesus and Satan. There's a clear distinction between light and darkness, right and wrong. There's a clear distinction. And Jesus goes on to tell us in John 10, verse 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that ye might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And then he goes on and makes this very powerful statement. He said in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd who's owned the sheep are not. Seeth the wolf coming and leaving the sheep fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he's a hireling and he careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known of mine. There's something in this that's as a pastor that really begins to catch my attention and begins to prick my heart. And I want you all to hear this. Jesus said it in John 10, 4 and, and, and 10, 5, and then he concluded with the same statement in John 10, 14 of essence, made the same statement. But in John 10, verse 4, he said, And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow. But will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. The new literal translation kind of makes it a little clearer because it says, after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. But they won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. It's his flock. He's the one that gathers. And that's what I told you when I started just a moment ago. He's gathering us tighter. He's gathering us together. Together closer to him. And in doing so closer to each other. It's his flock. He gathers his flock. And then he leads his flock. And his flock follows him because they know him. But they will not follow the voice of a stranger. And what is that? It is anyone other than their own shepherd but you got to understand the term stranger is not just limited to a thief or a robber the stranger is the wrong voice that is vying for our attention and this is the word of god that god wants me to give you this morning and i want you to listen close the stranger is the wrong voice that is wanting your attention the point here, the point in Jesus telling us this is that what we hear is of utmost importance. The wise man Solomon tells his own son in Proverbs nineteen twenty seven. he said, Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. In other words, son, quit listening to what is distracting you from truth. Is anybody with me right now? Quit giving an ear to what isn't the truth of the living God. Don't pay attention to it. Don't be distracted by it. And Jesus goes on to tell us how valuable hearing the word of God is in Mark 4, 24. He made this statement. He said unto them, take heed what you hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you and unto you that hear shall more be given. He's talking about when we grab hold of the word of God. Are y'all with me right now? He said, pay close attention to what you hear. Because the closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given. And the more understanding you'll be given is going to be piled on top of more because you'll receive even more. The measure you hear will be the measure you have for receiving more. I want to tell you something. The Lord doesn't invest much in those who don't show much attention. Brother David, why does this one seem to have more understanding of the things of God? And I'll tell you why. It's because they've been attentive to the voice of God. You want to be more under, or have more understanding and a deeper revelation. You want to go beyond a state of just shallow, superficial relationship with God. Then you need to wake up and pay attention because God said, in the measure that you hear is the measure you're going to be able to hear even more. The Lord doesn't invest much in those who don't show much attention. It's the hungry who are filled. It's the seeker who gets satisfied. And it's the hearer who receives. The psalmist David goes on. This psalmist had another prayer. He was making a declaration in Psalm 23, but Psalm 25 became his prayer, his guiding prayer. And in Psalm 25, verse 1, he said unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy love and kindness, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment. The meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will shew them his covenant. When Jesus makes the statement there in Mark chapter, chapter 4, verse 24, he said, Take heed what you hear. Pay close attention to what you hear because the closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given and you're going to receive even more. Some of you are waiting for a next word from God and you've not acted on today's word from God. Come on, help me preach for a little while. I'm talking to somebody in this room that God's already showed you that you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sin. It's time you go ahead and act on what God has revealed to you. And then he's going to say we're going to go on just a little bit further. Some of you are feeling a tug on your heart. That's why God put it in my heart to bring this to you. Some of you are feeling a tug. And I want to tell you that if you'll yield to what God is saying, if you'll relent yourself to what God is doing, God's promised I'm going to carry you on even further. I'm going to take you into more. I'm going to bless you and that more abundantly. (laughs) Hallelujah. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will show them his covenant. Let's praise the Lord. Come on, let's give him praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know what I'm praying for? I'm going to give you three points real quick. And my first point is this. You don't have to keep notes. We make it easy for you. Just go online. You'll find them there. It's better to make your own notes because you learn more that way. But the first point is we need to be praying to have a breakthrough from disinterest. We need to be praying that we'll have a breakthrough from disinterest. We need more than apathy and more than a passiveness. I don't, I don't know that Ty Russians here, but Tuesday, how, how many of y'all came home from camp meeting and looked at your yard and said, I just mowed. My goodness feel like I'm living in a jungle. We're in a tropical rainforest, you know, things you just watch. And my yard, my yard is the greenest yard on the block, the earliest because my yard is just nothing but weeds and they green early. And then they grow all year long. So, Tuesday, I was getting ready to go to camp meeting. I had to go on up early. I was getting ready to go to camp meeting. And I knew I needed to mow because I knew if I didn't, it was going to get out of control. And I went ahead and mowed, and it still looks like it's out of control. But I had my neighbor, Ty Russian, is my neighbor. Ty is part of this church family. He's an awesome kid. And so Tuesday morning, Ty said, Pastor David, you want me to help you mow? I'll get, I'll get my mower, which by that he means his dad's mower. And I'll help you, and we can do it together. I said, sure, let's do that, and I'll pay you. So he, he got his mower. I, he waited for me to get started, and he got his mower, and I got my mower, and we worked together and got the yard done in a pretty decent amount of time. It was hot. It was humid, and we sat out back and drinking cold glass of ice water, and I felt something in my heart. I wanted to teach Ty a Bible lesson. And so when we were done, I said, "Ty, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you four choices, okay? I will pay you ten dollars, fifteen dollars, seventeen dollars, or twenty dollars. You pick." And I said, "There's no wrong answer." Of course, there was a wrong answer. <laughs> but I said, "You pick." So Ty, he's a good kid. He said, "I'll, I'll take the ten, and you save your money." But I wanted him to learn something. I wanted him to learn this story. I didn't read him. I didn't get my Bible out and read him the story like I'm about to read y'all. But I told him this story in the book of Second Kings, chapter thirteen, verse fourteen. Now, Elisha, Elisha the prophet, Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died, and. Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, "O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof." And Elisha said unto him, "Take a bow and arrows." And he took unto him a bow and arrows, and he said to the king of Israel, "Put thine hand upon the bow." And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, "Open the window eastward and he opened it. And Elisha said, "Shoot," And he shot. And he said, "The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians and Aphek till thou hast consumed them." And he said, "Take the arrows." And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, "Smite upon the ground." And he smote thrice and and quit. That's what the word stayed mean. And the man of God was wroth. That's old English. For he was very angry. The man of God was very angry with him, and he said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then thou hast smitten Syria until thou had consumed them, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. I didn't read that story to Ty, but I told him the story, and then I, when I was done, I looked at him and said, Ty, I'm going to ask you again. Do you want $10, $15, $17? 20 dollars he looked at me and he grinned he said I'll take your 20 (laughs) because that was the lesson if God gives you opportunity come on now you're with me If God gives you opportunity and your opportunity is based on your motivation, don't you think you ought to get pretty fired up and pretty passionate and pretty motivated and say, God, if you're going to give me a victory, I want all you've got to give me. So God is saying, show me, or God is saying, follow me, follow me, and I'm going to show you some things. Follow me and I'm going to tell you some things. Follow me and I'm going to lead you into some things. Follow me and I'm going to teach you how great I am. You see, the lesson is, is we need to quit settling. I'm talking to some people this morning that got in the church. You got delivered from the world and now you're sitting here being in bondage in the church. Don't be settled where you are. God's got something more for you. God didn't bring you out of being drunk to be in here going to sleep on a church chair. God didn't deliver you from the shackles of hell for you to be bound in religion. God said, I brought you out to give you life and that more abundantly. He that the Son makes free is free indeed. I'm talking to some people that all you've done is change locations. You've gone from dying on a bar stool to dying on a church chair. That's not the will of God. God said, I didn't bring you from death out there so you could die in here. I brought you from death so you could live abundantly. Pursue after it. Yeah. Clap your hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. God, give us a breakthrough. Give us a breakthrough from disinterest. Help us to break free from the hang up of hesitating. Help us to be loosed from church apathy. Help us to be freed from religious rigidness and help us by all means to break forth and break free from fear. Paul writes to Timothy. After all, if you have been mentored by Paul, You've got your act together. That ain't quite right, y'all. Paul's writing to Timothy. And he says, you're my dearly beloved son. I'm thankful for you. I'm praying for you. I want to see you. I'm thankful for the faith you have. Your faith is, it's, it's man, it's, it runs in your Family. Your grandma Lois had it. Your mama Eunice had it. I mean, this is a generational faith that you've got. And I'm thankful that you've got it. My dad and my mom are here this morning. My son and my daughter are in this building this morning. There's many of us in this room that have three or four generations of faith right here in this room. But just because grandma had it doesn't mean I've got it. And just because mama has it doesn't mean I've got it. And Paul said, I want to tell you something, Timothy. The gift didn't come from your mama and it didn't come from your grandmama. It come from what God poured into you. And in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. Paul said, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul said God has given you something special. God's got a great plan for your life. God has called you goes on to say, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. And that good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. You can't stay where you are and get where he's leading you. He leadeth. That means we're moving forward. And he will continue to lead us. John saw it later over in the book of Revelation that the shepherd was going to lead them to living fountains of water. To follow the shepherd is to move without fear. Faith is stronger than fear. Paul says God's not given us a spirit of fear. We take the shield of faith. We resist everything that Satan throws at us. We resist steadfast in the faith. But we also go on to find out that love is greater than fear. And perfect love casts out fear. And truth vanquishes vanquishes fear. An absolute truth, an absolute trust in the truth of the word of God leaves fear totally defeated. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Why don't you lift your hands and let's love him together right now in Jesus' name. God's, God's got a pattern. <clears throat> God's not like I am. I'm kind of I'm haphazard. God has a pattern. And that's my second point I want to bring to you. Some of y'all can relate to this. My wife really is not good at telling time. My wife tells by task. Therefore, a schedule for my wife is more of getting things done before moving on rather than operating by a certain time frame. Some of y'all are very good at telling time. Some of you operate by time. Some of you operate by task. We understand that about each other, and so we're fine. And when we look at God, God's not quite like me. I'm the one that I can tell time. I can be at a place on a certain relatively on time. I don't do time like Pop does. Pop does time by 30 minutes beforehand. I do time by at one minute till. You're still on time. God doesn't do anything haphazardly. And God is more more than likely more of a task type individual as opposed to a time-constrained individual. Because after all, he said a day. With the Lord is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day. In other words, God doesn't really care that much about time. We go to Haiti. Go to Haiti, we haven't been in a while. Go to Trinidad. Haiti lives on island time. Trinidad lives on island time. Times are just a suggestion. We go to India, Sister Marshall, we when we went to India, those three times we went to India, it's just like. Okay, church supposed to start at 7. C.P. Thomas said, let's get there at 8.30. And that's what we do. We get there at 8.30 because they've been warming up their musical instruments for the first hour. But God is one of these that is, he's not particularly as interested with that time constraint. But he will not move away from the pattern that he established. Because God establishes the fact that things have to be done decent and in order. They've got to be done a certain way. So God has a pattern. And I want you to see this. We find our start, our walk with faith. We find this starting with Abraham. God called Abraham to follow him. And God said, if you'll follow me, I will make of you a great nation. And this became true both literally and spiritually. And then God called Moses to lead his people out of Egyptian bondage. And God gave that covenant of Abraham as a continuation through his people. It carried on through Moses. And Moses passed off the scene. And Joshua is the one that led the children of Israel into the promised land. I want you to notice this, that God called Abraham to follow him. And I'm going to make you a great nation. He walked out by faith. God called Moses to lead his people out. And then Joshua was going to lead them into the promised land. And Joshua, instead of saying, follow me, Joshua said, follow the ark of the covenant. You see, the progression, the way God had intended for this to be, was the progression was moving away from following a single man to following God. The plan was going even beyond that because God was wanting his people not just to follow the ark. God was going to teach them to walk with him. That spirit that was with them as a cloud that was in front of them down the road, that was going to be in them. And the law was not just going to be a scroll that they read. It was going to be something that was going to be written in their heart. And faith was not going to be in just a physical icon like an ark or a tablet or a rod or a pot of manna. You see, God's people were moving from hearing of Abraham, from following Moses, from following the ark of God to having a walk with God. And this is where we are today. God gave a pattern in Exodus chapter 25 verse 9. God said, according to all that I shew thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. A pattern is a model, a form, or a figure. God said, follow the pattern. It means something. And God made this statement. And I want you to see this. And we're going to start tying this together. In Exodus chapter 25 and verse 10. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. An ark. Everybody say an ark. an ark. The ark. I've got a picture of the ark of the covenant. This is just a picture, and I don't know how close this is to how it really is, but look at this for a moment. God said, make this of shittim wood. That's acacia wood. And acacia wood is plentiful. It's common. Acacia wood is still in use today. You may have found something at TJ Maxx or Marshall's. If you flip it over, it may say it was made out of acacia wood because it's a very well-known wood. Cubit, that's a very well-known instrument of measure. It's a standard measurement. A cubit is roughly 18 inches. So God said, make this ark of shittim wood or acacia wood 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches high. And then in Exodus twenty-five, eleven, he said, Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it. And thou shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be in one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. God said, Take this common, everyday wood. And cover it with pure gold, clean, pure, genuine, representing purity and honorable, something that's purity, or represents purity, and something that is honorable, something that is special. The base of all of it represents the common, but then the common is made special. They're going to follow this as they walk into conquest of the promised land. They're not going to be able to miss it. Somebody hear what I'm saying right now. Gold was reflective. They would not be able to miss it. It wouldn't be lost in the landscape. It was not going to blend in with the environment. You see, the common was made to stand out. God changes lives. God changes things. And you weren't made to blend in to this environment that you're a part of. You weren't made to get lost in the crowd. You weren't made to get lost in the world. You see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, things which are not, to bring to naught the things which are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who, are, who of God has made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Paul said over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe it is, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. In other words, we may be common humanity, but something has transpired in our life. The glory of the Lord is reflected from our life. God had a plan. God had a purpose. And he said, take that everyday wood, that thorny acacia tree, and make that ark. But you cover it with pure gold. And then go on a little bit further in verse 14. Thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark that the ark may be born with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. The staves. Look at the ark. The staves. That's the rods. That's the poles that is used to carry. Listen to me close. The ark of the covenant was designed to be carried. It was never meant to be hauled. To carry something is to hold or support it while moving, it's to bear it. To haul something is to transport it in a vehicle, to cart it. You haul freight, but you carry what's special. And God said, this is special. And the one time that the Bible recalls or brings to us about it being hauled, it was put in, a, in an ox cart. And it was the ox kind of shook and the ark was falling off the cart. And somebody put up their hand to stabilize the Ark of the Covenant. This is on many years later. And when they touched that ark, they fell over dead because God said, I told you all not to haul it. I told you to carry it. How beautiful are the feet of them that bear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the staves shall be in the rings. They shall not be taken out. God is teaching us a lesson as he gives us this pattern that you do not remove the element of the human connection because the ark is representing to us the human connection of the divine. How beautiful are the feet of them that carry the gospel. The priests were the carry the ark. And the main feature was the box itself and what it contained and the mercy seat and what it meant. And that's my third and final point. Because there's the mercy seat was the meeting place. I know you may think, Brother David, where are you going with all this? Because you've used half the Bible today. But when we look at our Lord and Savior, we're called to follow him. We're called to walk with him. We look at this Ark of the Covenant that's mentioned in Scripture, and this represented the very presence of God himself, and we see the pattern, and we see how that every particular thing, every detail was given, and it was to be followed. And then God made this statement, the meeting place in Exodus chapter 25, verse 16. And thou shalt put into the Ark the testimony which I shall give thee. That's the law. The tables of stone. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. And two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. And a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. In other words, the mercy seat is going to be the lid of the ark. It's going to be the same size as the dimensions of the ark. This mercy seat is the lid. And make this mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof; the cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work; shalt thou make them, and the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end, even of the mercy seat. Shall you make the even of the mercy seat? Shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof? And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall face each other but they'll be looking toward the mercy seat and thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that i shall give thee and there i will meet with thee and i will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which i will give thee in commandment unto the children of israel The ark, it's a fusion of earth and heaven of every day and purity. And God is saying, I want to meet with you. I want to commune with you. I want to share with you. The place he meets us is holy, is special, it's reverent. God is calling us back to a place of again. Realizing the reverence of our connection with Him, Isaiah described it this way in Isaiah six one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord seated upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings: with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said, I, woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God's making this statement. God said, I will meet you at the place where mercy and truth come together. I will commune with you from above the mercy seat. There's something stirring in my heart. Courtney, come on back. There's something stirring in my heart this morning. We went to this camp meeting, and I'm so thankful. That's why I said a while ago, I'm so thankful that y'all were there. Those of you that were able to go, there was no hype. There was no trying to get anything going and rally anybody. But what it was, was a call to a place of recommitment. A call to a place of reviving, of revival, of a dying to ourself and a recommitment to him. We use the term revival. It's been used through churches for many, many years. It's just thrown out there. It's become part of the vocabulary of the church it's loosely used it becomes a cliche sometimes revival revival is for the people of god revival is not to go out and try to win the lost revival is for the people of god to become what they need to be all over again there's a prayer for revival in psalm 85 And in Psalm 85, as this prayer goes up to God for revival, the words are used that connects it back to the mercy seat of the ark. For he says, Will thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to, to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him that glory may dwell in our land mercy and truth are met together righteousness and peace have kissed each other truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven yea the lord will give that which is good and our land will yield her increase righteousness shall go before him and shall set, his, set us in the way Of his steps. God says, My meeting place with you is going to be at a place where mercy and truth come together. God said, I am not going to meet you at a place that is lacking one or the other. This place that I'm going to meet with you, that I'm going to commune with you, is going to be a place of mercy and truth we want the mercy of God and some want the truth of God but we want all that God has to offer and you can't have one without the other and if God is saying I'm going to lead you into my truth but yet we want to choose to say God I'd just rather stand over here in your mercy and grace and I, 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 I would rather just stand over here and, and declare over my life that grace is all that I need. And God saying, you're insufficient. You're incomplete. You're lacking because my grace, my grace is sufficient. But for completeness, you've got to have grace and truth. You can't be seeking God just for a move of his grace. And Lord, show us your mercy We need to be praying, God, we want a move of your spirit, but we also want you to bring truth into our lives. I want your grace and I want your mercy, but God, I want your truth. And God, your truth reveals to me that I'm not what I ought to be, but your mercy says I can make you what you need to be. Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk didn't live in a time of great things happening. Habakkuk didn't see miracles, but he yearned for revival, and he made this statement. He said, said, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. The psalmist, Psalm 89, verse 13, he said, Thou hast a mighty arm, strong is thy hand, and high is thy right hand. Justice and judgment are thy habitation, or the habitation of thy throne, and mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. Justice and judgment is where the throne of God is, and mercy and truth is before him. Would you stand with me? God said, I will meet you there. I will commune with you there. We started in that 25th chapter of Exodus. We started with God saying, This is where I'll meet you. This is where I'll commune with you. I'll commune with you from above seat. I'll commune with you there at this place where truth and mercy reside. But let me tie this all up by telling you this, that it all converges with Jesus. The great creator, John said in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Jesus, the great creator, became our Savior. But then we have the revelation of his divinity as it begins to unfold and look close at these words. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, and truth. John, bare witness of him, cried, saying, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man is God at any time. The only begotten of the Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Some of you may have had your interest piqued today when I showed a depiction of the Ark of the Covenant. Some of you may have done in your study time what I did this week, and I Googled where is the Ark of the Covenant. And I found out that there is actually a church in Ethiopia. That says they have the Ark of the Covenant, except nobody's seen it. I'm not even gonna go there because I don't wanna leave you thinking about that. I just feel like that the Ark of the Covenant, that symbol, that symbol, that represented the presence of God. And God said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to meet with you where mercy and truth connect. I'm going to meet with you and I'm going to commune with you and I'm going to bring revelation to you at a point of where mercy and truth come together. My own finite thinking tells me that I see that when I see Jesus Christ. And I don't want to go looking for a gold-plated box. I want to turn my eye toward Jesus. Because it's in Him that I find completeness. And Paul said in, 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 in Colossians, you are complete in Him. Would you bow your heads right now while you're standing. You see the presence of the King of Glory has been with us in this room today. And God Almighty has touched us by His Spirit. He's blessed us with His presence. And the Lord said, I just simply want you to look to me. I just simply want you to walk with me. Because what this is all about is that you know me. God says, I'm coming into your life so that you can know who I am and let's lay aside any disinterest today and any hesitancy and with a renewed passion let's reach out after him like we have not reached out after him up to this point. I'm inviting you to come around this front. There's some already come up here for prayer. I want, I'm inviting you to come around this front. The praise team's going to lead us out one more time, and I'm inviting you to come up and say, "God, I want to meet you today. I want to know you today, God. I want to know you more than I've known you up to this point. I want to grow more in my walk and my faith and deeper in my understanding, God. The words that you've already spoken into my life, I want to. I want to yield myself to that." And I want to go further in you. Come on. Come on, let's sing. Let's pray.
1: about having a meeting place between us and God. There's nothing you need in your life any more than to have an altar in your life, a place where you meet with the Lord one-on-one. And it's a relationship that the more you put into it, the more you'll get out of it. If you have a haphazard manner, you're not gonna get a lot of but if you'll put your whole heart and your mind into this relationship with God and you'll seek Him with all your heart,